Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through the Bible. And so we ask just now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would bless your name and achieve your purposes in us for your glory. Amen. I wonder if many of you had the experience that I used to have quite frequently as a child when my mother would say, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed, that's right. If there was ever a phrase said by mothers that sailed straight over young boys' heads, that was it. Mostly because my mother had probably spent most of the last five minutes tearing into me, um, apparently quite angry, and then, I'm not angry, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Far better to say to a child, I think you've done this, I wish you hadn't, and I'm quite angry about it. But we read together a few moments ago from 1 Samuel 1, and we find somebody in the middle of that story who is truly disappointed and who is hurting, didn't we? Hannah, she wanted to be a mum. It hadn't happened for her, and she was deeply disappointed. Her heart was hurting. My heart really goes out to her as I read this chapter. Uh, I remember well the night I was out for dinner with my wife, Justine. Um, I know how to do it. We were in a restaurant, it was at Blue Chicago in Larne, um, the center of the universe. Um, and she uh, excused herself from the table and um, I got the tap on the shoulder and said, excuse me, did your wife go to the bathroom? And I said, yes. And they said, uh, I think she's just collapsed. So I remember following the ambulance at breakneck speed to Antrim Hospital. Uh, in other circumstances, I would have really enjoyed driving like that, but not that night. And I remember weeks later sitting in the doctor's office being told that she had a cyst on her ovary, but you're probably going to be able to have children, but you really should do it sooner rather than later. And I remember the joy then of finding out that we were going to be parents. None of the pregnancies have been an easy journey for us, but we've been blessed very greatly. But I can, I can kind of picture Hannah disappointed, worried, disappointed and hurt at how things have turned out. A woman with a disappointed heart, a hurting heart. And on top of having no children yet, well, there's this other woman, her husband's other wife. I was trying to think this week of what the word for that is, because when you're related to somebody through your husband, they're an in-law, but I don't think you can have a wife-in-law, but you know, you know what I mean. We're not really given any introduction as to how this arrangement came about. Um, maybe it was a bit like Abraham and Sarah, you know, childless, so we'll take things into your own hands. God had promised to make Abraham a great nation, but he's childless. Okay, Abraham, then you have my servant girl and marry her so you can have a child. The Bible doesn't ever condone these types of relationships. Um, and in fact, when we do see polygamy in the Bible, generally it doesn't end well. Um, Sarah and Hagar don't get on and the Lord says, okay, Abraham, I will bless that child too. But no, I promised you I would give you and Sarah a child and I'm going to do that. When Jacob is tricked into marrying Leah as well as Rachel, it's Rachel's children, isn't it? It's Joseph and Benjamin who are the favorites and it's Joseph who's blessed by God and who leads his people. Solomon's many wives were part of what led him to be unfaithful to God. And so in 1 Samuel 1, we have a, another one of these. And whilst the Bible doesn't condemn the fact that Elkanah is married to two women, it's not exactly painted in a positive light. The other woman makes Hannah's life miserable. The Bible uses the term rival. 
and that probably is spot on. In verse 4, we read that Penina has sons in the plural and daughters in the plural. So, she's got at least four children, at least two sons and two daughters. I imagine tonight that we all probably feel quite sorry for Hannah as we read that. Her husband, Elkanah, certainly felt sorry for her. When they feasted together, he gave her a double portion. In Jewish custom, it was the firstborn son who would get a double portion. So she was highly favored. It's as if Elkanah was saying, look, I have married this other woman to keep my family line on, but I really love you. I really wish my family line could carry on through you. So we rightly feel a lot of sympathy towards Hannah. My heart goes out to her. But is sympathy the only thing we should feel for her? I think the author of 1 Samuel wants us to see something else as well. It's a detail that I um, have to confess I'd always missed in this story before. But the commentators pick up on it, and I think it's important. In the NIV, which we read from in verse 7, we're told that Penina provoked her. This is what it says. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Now, there's no until or till in the Hebrew, and most of our translations go that way. Even the trusty ESV, I think, says, therefore she wept and would not eat. But in the Hebrew, that's not there. There's a break in the sentence, and not many of our translations break up on it, but I think, or pick up on it, but I think it's important. The Christian Standard Bible is one which does. Here's how it phrases verse 7. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Full stop. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Now, this reflects something in the Hebrew. It's called a disjunctive accent. That doesn't matter. But the point is that there's a separation in the sentence. In the English, it's quite right to have a full stop. Why is it important? Am I splitting hairs? Well, no, it, it's, it's not that the two things are unrelated, obviously, but it's not saying that Hannah was so tormented that she couldn't eat or that she cried about it. It is saying that she was taunted, but her reaction to that was not to take part in the religious festival that they were meant to be celebrating. It's not just an emotional response to somebody being mean. The word for wept, bacha, means to cry out or to raise a lamentation. She wasn't sobbing quietly to herself. And this is significant because these religious feasts were meant to be celebrations. Here's just one verse from Leviticus about the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, like Palm Sunday, and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. Now, that was just one of the feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was there to represent the fact that when the Lord led the Israelites through the wilderness, they lived in tents or in tabernacles before he brought them into the promised land. But all of the festivals have instructions like this. The people were to come before the Lord and be joyful. As I say, think Palm Sunday, think singing and dancing and making sacrifices to the Lord and eating them as appropriate. Nobody's saying that Hannah had to be happy about her family situation, but she was meant to be singing a song of praise to the Lord, and she was raising a lament. She was meant to eat in the feast, and she could have at least passed herself if she didn't feel like eating, but she didn't. She refused to eat. 
I was trying to think of a modern equivalent to this, um, and I'm not sure that there is an exact one, but the closest one I could think of was this. It's coming up to Christmas, and somebody has been bereaved, they've lost somebody really close to them, and they're dreading Christmas. It's the first Christmas without this person. It's gonna be really hard. But there's young kids in the family, and they're really excited about Christmas. You know, the presents and the dinner and all the pudding and games and all the things that go with Christmas. So what do you do in that situation? Well, nobody's saying it's gonna be easy, it isn't. It's gonna be hard. And nobody's saying that you have to pretend to be happy uh, all day long. In fact, I would argue it would be healthy even if the kids did see you cry, if they saw you being sad and a bit teary, that would be fine because it's good for them to see that you don't need to bottle up your emotions and it's okay to be sad. But what would be immensely cruel would be to say to the kids, I'm so sad about this. Christmas is cancelled. No Santa, no presents, no games, no dinner, no cards, no tree, nothing this year. We're not acknowledging Christmas. That would be cruel. It would be wrong to do that. You might need to make adjustments to help you get through it, but it would be wrong to deny the kids something that they're so excited about. Now, Hannah's situation is obviously worse than that because she fails to acknowledge the Lord and who He is and what He has done for His people. And the thing is this, I mean, kids will be excited about Christmas no matter how we feel about it. And the Lord is good. The Lord had blessed his covenant people and he had delivered them from Egypt. He'd brought them into this promised land. He'd given them the law. All of those things were true, no matter what was going on in Hannah's life. We see it elsewhere in the Bible. Job is the obvious and most extreme example. He loses everything. We can't imagine what sort of emotional turmoil he was in. He certainly wasn't happy, but he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We sang this evening our first song, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it can be, as, as it should be, blessed be your name. And blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. There would have been pain in the offering for Job. There would have been pain in the offering for Hannah. Nobody's saying she should have been happy. That would be wrong. She was hurting. But her response to God in her hurting was to say, my pain's more important than your faithfulness. She took the hump. She reacted badly. I still feel very sorry for her. I'm not sure that I would have reacted any better in the circumstances but she sees her suffering as more important than her duty to acknowledge the Lord's goodness. We can and probably should be sympathetic with her. She's hurt, she's disappointed, she's angry, fair enough. But she does sin. There would have been pain in the offering, but the offering was still due. And we're told this happens year after year. But there's a turning point in the story. It's quite subtle, but in verse 9, it says, Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Maybe this year Hannah had eaten. If she hadn't eaten at that stage, we're told plainly in verse 18 that she went her way and ate something. So that has changed. Hannah eats, and she makes this vow to the Lord. Verse 10 in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, 
If only you will look upon your servant's misery and remember me. And do not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Something's changed in Hannah's heart. We're not told about how that comes about. But she comes to a realization of what is actually most important. It's not that the desire for her to have a child has gone away. It's still there. But it's not more important to her than the Lord anymore. She still has that, long, that strong desire. But she says, Lord, I submit to you. Please, please give me a son. But when you do, he's yours. This isn't untypical of what happens to people in the Bible when they reach rock bottom. Jonah, I'm picking lots of extreme examples tonight. Jonah is another obvious famous example. You know the story, Jonah? Go and preach in Nineveh. And Jonah thinks, go outside of Israel to that pagan nation? No thanks. But right before he's rescued, vomited out of the fish, he comes to a realization. He has this long prayer where he confesses that the Lord is gracious and so on. But there's this really striking phrase at the end of his prayer. It's the last thing he says before he's delivered. He says, salvation is of the Lord. Lord, I recognize that it's not up to me to decide who gets your salvation or who you're going to save. It's not just people from my nation or people who look like me or whatever. Salvation is of the Lord. It's up to you. And Jonah's rescued. Now, Jonah doesn't exactly learn his lesson because he gets all grumpy with the Lord again when the people of Nineveh aren't destroyed. And God gently asks him, are you right to be angry? Are you sure about this? I'm right to have compassion on these thousands of people. Remember, salvation's from me. The story's left on a cliffhanger. But Hannah has a similar experience. She gets to the point where she acknowledges what's most important. Not her preferences, but the Lord's purposes. And so she prays this vow, and it's a vow that she keeps. And Samuel is born, and, and he will go on to have a pivotal role in the unfolding of God's salvation story in the Bible. Hannah's story has much to say to us tonight in terms of healing or dealing with hurt and disappointment. On the one hand, it is something to say to us about how we help others who are hurting. We see two people in the story trying to help Hannah, but they feel, at least initially they feel. Elkanah, the husband, he loves her. He gives her the double portion. He wants to help her, but he does so without any reference to God. Why are you sad? Surely I'm worth more to you than 10 sons. We have to be aware of the danger of trying to be anyone else's savior. It's right for us to have mercy. It's right for us to help people who are hurting in, in practical ways. But it's not right for us to stop there because the only cure for a hurting heart comes from the Lord. Eli also doesn't quite get it right at first. He assumes Hannah is drunk. He doesn't take her seriously. When people tell us that they're hurting, we have to take them seriously. It might have taken that person all the courage they can muster just to tell us even a little bit of how they're hurting. We need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. But instead, well, Eli does eventually get it right. We need to take people seriously and offer practical help where we can. After all, if you know the story, Eli ends up raising Samuel. And we need to pray with them that God will heal their hurting heart. He says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. We need to pray with people who are hurting. 
We could spend a long time together thinking about how this passage teaches us to help others who are hurting, but I think this passage actually has much more to say about situations where we are the ones who are hurting, where we're disappointed or where we've been let down. And the first thing we need to acknowledge is that God has a part in our hurt, and that might seem like a misspeaking, but it's not. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying that God hurts us, but He does allow us to be put into situations where we will be disappointed and hurt. And if we believe in the promise of Scripture in Romans 8 that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, then we need to acknowledge that God is sovereign even over the things that hurt us. Sometimes when we're hurt, it's because of our own doing. Maybe it's a a direct consequence of a sin. Sometimes we're hurt as a result of the fact that we live in a fallen world, so maybe we're hurt by other people or by illness or bereavement. But God is sovereign through these times. He's in control through these times. The author of 1 Samuel acknowledges this. The way it's written, it, it doesn't say that Hannah hadn't had any children yet or she hadn't conceived. The author of 1 Samuel says that the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. It might be painful, but God is sovereign in it. I know I've quoted to you this this before, but um, Sinclair Ferguson says in one of his books, he's a, a Scottish pastor and theologian, and he says that God often uses suffering as the raw materials for our spiritual growth. We mightn't see God's purposes in it. I have no idea why I ended up sitting in that hospital room being told that my wife had cysts on her ovaries. I have no idea why the pregnancies have been so difficult. I have no idea why months after both my mom and dad retired and they were looking forward to their retirement together, mom was given a couple of months to live. But I've seen God's goodness in all of those things. God has been so good to us in blessing us with our children. And through those difficult pregnancies and Justine being off work and even the financial pressures that 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 has brought, God has brought us to a deeper trust in him. With mom and dad, we've seen answered prayer, and we've been convinced in in the most awful of scenarios of the goodness of God. Treatment working way better than it should have. No progression in her cancer now, two and a half years on. He's taught us so much about his goodness. And he's taught me personally so much about how I always like to be in control of things and how at times I make an idol of that. But he's teaching me to trust that he's in control and that I need to let go. I think I'm like Jonah. I'm a very slow learner. I need the lesson again and again. None of it's pleasant, but all of it has led to more joy in the Lord. So when our hearts are hurting, we firstly need to acknowledge that God is sovereign. We also need to look honestly at our own actions. And I've alluded to this in my own actions. Are we sinning? Are we throwing our toys out of the pram? Even if our anger is partly or even fully justified, if someone really has wronged us, I think Hannah's anger was somewhat justified. But if it's expressed in sin, we need to take a long, hard look at what that sin is. What is the idol that's more important to us than living as followers of Jesus in that situation? Because whatever it is, is something we're putting in God's place. If we direct our anger at people, are we saying that them doing what we want them to do is more important than the Lord's will being done? If we're seeking refuge in sin, be it in gossip or um, taking refuge in pornography or some kind of harmful behavior, 
Are we saying that that momentary pleasure is more important to us than facing up to God's will and His plans being different to ours? If we throw a strop and huff with God, are we saying that getting our own way is our God rather than the Lord Almighty? Jonah learned it the hard way. I don't know exactly how Hannah learned it. We we're not told. She had a change of heart. One feast she was lamenting instead of praising and refusing to take part in the feast, and the next she was eating and praying to the Lord and surrendered her desire to the Lord. And the Lord would do something really wonderful for her, and the Lord would do something really wonderful for us because Samuel came along. He anointed David, the ancestor of our Lord Jesus, the one whose kingdom we belong to and whose kingdom will last forever way beyond any of our disappointments. It is worth finishing up tonight, though, with the end of the story, because I know this has been heavy going, and Hannah does get her desire. She has a son and calls him Samuel, which means I ask God for him. It's a happy ending. I think we have to acknowledge that in one sense, the endings in our story may not always be happy, even though the eternal ending will be. But in everything between now and then, God is sovereign. Keith Getty and Stuart Townend um, wrote a song a few years back called The Perfect Wisdom of Our God, and it ends like this. Each strand of sorrow has a place within this tapestry of grace. So through the trials, I choose to say your perfect will in your perfect way. Maybe you think that's easy for you to say. It's not easy for me to say, but I think it's true. When we face trials and suffering and hurt, it has a place in God's sovereign plan for us as individuals and for us as a body of his people. That's what Hannah and Samuel teach us tonight. So if you're hurting, if you're disappointed, listen to Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Bible tells us to delight in the Lord, and He will give us the desires of our heart. I don't think that means that if we delight in the Lord, He'll always give us just exactly what we want. One of my friends pointed this out to me recently. I think it means that He'll give us new desires. He will give us desires for our heart, desires that more align with His, desires that we didn't have before, desires that replace our old ones and are more aligned with His will. Come to the Savior. Find His rest. Hard as it might be, surrender your hurts and your pain and your own desires and receive His rest and His new desires and His comfort because He is sovereign over it all. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this part of the Bible and thank you that your word doesn't keep from us the, the difficult realities of life and the pain that your people have endured through the years. Lord, we give you thanks for Hannah and for her transformation of heart and for her turning to you. And Lord, we each come to you tonight with our own hurts. Maybe for some of us, things are going well just now. Maybe for others, life is just really difficult. So Lord, we come to the Savior. 
And we lay these things down at your feet and we ask that we would receive his rest. Lord, help us to see in our lives where there is something that we're putting above your will for us. And Lord, help us to turn from that into the open arms of Jesus. Help us to lean on him and trust that your will for our lives is to do us good and that you are sovereign over every circumstance in our lives. So Lord, help us to follow the Savior in his name. Amen.